0: Welcome to Between the Lines, presenting news and analysis of critical issues affecting our communities, the nation, and the world. I'm Scott Harris. This week we present Norman Solomon, co-founder of RootsAction.org, who explains why he believes progressive activists can play a pivotal role to defeat fascist Republicans in the 2022 midterm election. Wanda Bertram of the Prison Policy Initiative, who talks about the many barriers that almost 600,000 incarcerated but not convicted U.S. citizens face in trying to vote and the upside for democracy when they can and Andrew Lawrence of Media Matters for America, who discusses the ways in which corporate media failed to adequately cover critical issues important to voters in the 2022 midterm election campaign. But first, we begin with a summary of some of the week's underreported news stories.
1: In recent weeks, North Korea has launched seven missile tests in response to U.S. and South Korea military exercises. State media published reports claiming the missiles, which landed in the sea between North Korea and Japan, were designed to carry tactical nuclear weapons. These are small, short-range weapons intended for use on the battlefield. North Korean officials said the military had practiced loading the missiles with dummy warheads. They also claim to have successfully simulated targeting South Korea's military bases and sea and airports. U.S. and South Korea intelligence officials predict that the North may soon test a nuclear weapon for the first time since 2017. Experts also believe the North could use the opportunity to detonate a smaller tactical nuclear device. In a recent stop in Tokyo, U.S. Assistant Secretary of State Wendy Sherman said the U.S. has an ironclad commitment to the security of South Korea and Japan, including using all military options. Sherman condemned North Korea's missile tests as deeply irresponsible, dangerous, and destabilizing. For the first time since the murder of George Floyd, voters in Greater Minneapolis will vote to elect a new district attorney, It's a politically divisive race between reformer Mary Moriarty, a former chief public defender, and retired judge Martha Holton Dimmick, a former prosecutor endorsed by police unions, and Mayor Jacob Fry. The candidates are running to replace outgoing county attorney for Hennepin County, Michael Freeman, who faced intense criticism for his failure to hold police accountable for abusive behavior. According to Mother Jones magazine, the bitter race comes as police reform in Minneapolis appears to have stalled after a city charter amendment to create a new Department of Public Safety failed. Republicans are increasingly focusing on rising crime rates in their campaign advertising to defeat Democrats. Moriarty, who won the Democratic primary, has embraced progressive reforms. Her agenda focuses on data-driven approaches to public safety, and she advocates using diversion programs as an alternative to incarceration. She's pledged to create a police accountability unit to investigate cases of law enforcement misconduct. Holton Dimick, who served as a prosecutor under now-Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, claims, without any evidence, Radical activists with plans to defund the police are responsible for gun violence in her neighborhood. After months of union organizing at an Amy's Kitchen organic food manufacturing plant, the company shut down the factory in San Jose, California, last July, laying off 300 workers. The plant closure came less than a year and a half after it had opened. In these times magazine reports that the workers were engaged in a union drive with Unite Here Local 19, which represents food service and hospitality workers in Silicon Valley. Amy's Kitchen denies that the abrupt closure of the San Jose plant was related to labor issues, instead, citing inflation and supply chain disruption. The workers themselves, however, tell a different story. According to the organizing director for Unite Here, the facility closure was part of the company's overall campaign orchestrated against its workers. Amy's Kitchen has spent years cultivating an image as an ethical company. However, in early 2022, workers at a plant in Santa Rosa, California, went public with claims of fast production lines, little access to bathrooms or water, and locked fire exits an inspection by the State Division of Occupational Safety and Health, found numerous violations resulting in a $25,000 fine. Amy's workers claim that the company offers no support to employees injured on the job and retaliates against those who speak up to demand safer working conditions. This week's news summary was compiled by Bob Nixon. For Between the Lines, I'm Anna Manzo.
0: Since Donald Trump launched his presidential campaign in 2015, the Republican Party, aligned with extremist white supremacist and armed militia groups, have embraced political violence as a tactic to capture and hold on to political power. The latest violent incident involved Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's 82-year-old husband David, who was assaulted by a hammer-wielding intruder in the couple's San Francisco home. When he broke into the home, the QAnon MAGA conspiracy believer shouted, Where's Nancy? Police say the suspect intended to hold Nancy Pelosi hostage and break her kneecaps. More than a few Republican candidates running in the midterm election, along with some conservative commentators, cracked jokes, using the attack on David Pelosi as a punchline in their campaign speeches and commentary. It's not surprising that the party which has labeled the January 6th insurrectionists as patriots and branded Kyle Rittenhouse, who shot and killed two unarmed racial justice protesters as a hero, would mock the violence targeting the House Speaker that they've demonized for decades. In the days before the November 8th midterm election, Republican-aligned groups are posting men armed with guns at election ballot drop boxes, and are launching new conspiracy theories to challenge the results of any election they lose. Your reporter spoke with Norman Solomon, co-founder of RootsAction.org and author, who explains why he believes progressive activists can play a pivotal role to defeat fascist Republicans in the 2022 midterm election.
2: As a practical matter, the odds of Republicans taking over the House are very good, good for them. Terrible for the country. While the Senate is really on razor's edge, all the polling and analysis tell us that it could go either way. And that's why there are about a dozen states that are really crucial. Uh, Will the Republicans get control over the body that approves judges, including to the Supreme Court, uh, making Mitch McConnell again the guy in charge of the Senate? These are really open questions. And while it's easy to feel powerless. The fact is that in the coming days, progressives could play a major role as to whether the Republicans get total control of the Congress or not.
0: What is your specific message to progressive activists about their important role in the November 8th election? You say the choice is between neoliberalism and fascism.
2: Really, to grasp what is at stake, the news media tend to anesthetize us. We're encouraged to see this as sort of an interesting political spectator sport. But whatever we care about, whether it's student loan debt or racial equality or the environment and climate, or whether it's all aspects of social and political justice, whether in fact democracy is something that we care deeply about, all of this is on the line. The reality is that the polling is showing in at least half a dozen, up to eight or ten Senate races, it's within the margin of error or very close. And that's why, whether in Florida or North Carolina or Pennsylvania or Nevada, this is really going to be crucial. So progressives, if we live in states where we're being deluged with Senate ads, that's a tip-off that it could go either way. And I would cite somebody who has been very critical of the Democratic Party for several decades, Ralph Nader. In a historic statement last week, he said that he's urging people to vote for Democrats. And this is really stunning and also is a reflection of just how dire the situation is, how far right the Republican Party has gone, how a victory for the House and the Senate for Republicans would move this country towards fascism. Ralph Nader is not anybody who cuts the Democratic Party slack, and yet he has said very clearly in recent days that the difference between the Democratic and Republican parties is enormous and that it's incumbent upon us, it is crucial for us to make sure that Republicans are defeated, and that means supporting Democratic candidates.
0: Norman, are there a lot of progressive activists that you speak with or know about who plan on sitting out this election because they feel the Democrats have disappointed them, that the agenda of the Democratic Party aligns too much with corporate America's agenda? There's a lot of complaints about the Democrats on foreign policy and a whole range of issues. As you're in touch with those activists out there, how much convincing do you think they need to go to the polls and not sit it out on November 8th?
2: There is a diminishing amount of willingness among progressives to sit out this election, but that attitude still exists. I think that's why it's so important that Ralph Nader has made a clear statement that progressives, people who want democracy in this country, whether you need to hold your nose or not, should vote for the Democrats on the ballot. I think there still are folks for understandable reasons. Who are furious with the Democratic Party, who see the militarism, who see the compromises and the Democratic Party leadership all too often caving in to corporate power. That's all real. And at RootsAction.org, we are frequently critical of the Democrats in Congress for failing to fight for the environment, to recognize the climate crisis, to really insist on full cancellation of student debt, and a whole host of items on the progressive agenda The reality is, however, that unless we want this country to continue to move towards fascism, it's essential, it's absolutely necessary for us to recognize that the only way to halt that momentum would be to elect Democrats rather than Republicans. It's just getting real. And all too often, it's easy for us to, as progressives or liberals or however we want to describe ourselves, to say, well, it's not good enough, and therefore we should simply be quiet and not participate in the electoral process or vote third party. The option, the realistic option to vote third party in this election and have any effect whatsoever, that option is a illusion. It's a fantasy.
0: That was Norman Solomon, co-founder of RootsAction.org and author. Find a link to his recent article titled Leftists don't gaslight yourselves. It's time to unite against the fascist Republicans by visiting our Between the Lines website at btlonline.org. A new report from the Sentencing Project found that 4.6 million people will be barred from voting in the 2022 midterm election due to having a felony conviction. At the same time, Republican Party-initiated voter suppression laws and GOP-aligned armed militia groups' presence at polling places designed to intimidate voters perceived to be voting for Democratic candidates is growing in states across the U.S. But another report highlights a bright spot in voting access in an unlikely place, some of the country's largest jails. In addition to holding people with very short sentences, Most jails are filled with people who have not yet been convicted of the crime for which they're being held, many of whom are eligible to vote. Now, jails in Houston, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, Denver, Chicago, and Joliet, Illinois, have established polling stations inside these institutions. Between the Lines, Melinda Tuhu spoke with Wanda Bertram, communication strategist with the Prison Policy Initiative. Here she cites some of the barriers that almost 600,000 incarcerated but not convicted citizens face in trying to vote and the upside for democracy when they can cast their ballot.
3: If you're not registered, the act of registering uh, takes, as anyone who's registered to vote before knows, takes a lot of paperwork that's often not available in jails, requires identification that many people in jail uh, have had taken from them upon admission. Uh, if people are already registered to vote, then there's the problem of obtaining an absentee ballot. There's a lot of states where, uh, if you vote absentee, you need a you need an excuse, and being in jail is not an approved excuse. Yeah. And so, when when people have asked us, you know, what's the solution? What we tend to say is just go and establish a jail polling place. Set up a, a polling station such that people can be registered and uh, actually go and, and vote on election day all at a, at a single place that's administered by either a nonprofit or by uh, officials who are working at the jail or officials you know, who are working for, from the city or the county or what have you. And there are seven uh, jurisdictions that have actually uh, set up jail polling places in to, to varying degrees of success, the Cook County jail is notorious for all sorts of difficulties and human rights abuses. But one thing that it has done that is, you know, uniquely progressive actually compared to other jails is that it established a jail based polling location in 2020 and took advantage of uh, same day registration. So it allowed for same day registration and made two weekends of early in person voting available in 2020. And over 2,000 of the 5,400 people in the jail cast ballot. Now, in June 2022, uh, people were also able to vote from this jail-based polling location, and roughly 25 percent of the people detained at the jail cast their ballots. This was actually a higher turnout rate than the city of Chicago overall. The overall turnout rate in Chicago was 20 percent in the June 2022 election.
4: That's good news. So, Wanda Bertram, this is happening in the context of terrible voter suppression through gerrymandering and new restrictive laws you know, on the outside. And this jail voting seems like moving in the opposite and positive direction in terms of increasing the franchise. I know that voter turnout in communities where many incarcerated folks come from is usually low, in part because they don't see either major party really representing them.
3: I have tried to, you know, help uh, work on voter turnout efforts in, you know, places where there are, you know, high incarceration rates and there's, you know, uh, poverty issues. And this is totally separate from my work at the Prison Policy Initiative. In doing that, you know, you you see how many people are disenchanted with the electoral process, and anything that can be done to help people have their voices heard is, in my opinion, really productive work. I think one of the most important things to recognize about uh, pe- people's interaction with the criminal justice system is that it can often it make people less inclined to vote. Seeing, um, you know, seeing how the punishment system works, or even seeing a loved one you know, be punished by arrest and incarceration, has been shown uh, in academic research to make people less likely to vote. So why is it that, that the Cook County Jail is seeing higher turnout rates than the city of Chicago overall? I would say it's for two reasons. The first is that this is a, a relatively small and well-run, well-organized jail polling place, right? You have all of your core functions, registration, uh, early voting, all of that stuff. It all happens in the same location. And it's it's all you know uh, relatively easy for folks to access because it is set up for a very particular population of people. And that's not true about a lot of polling places out in the quote-unquote free world, right? The other thing is that Frankly, I think when people are locked up, they don't have a lot to do, and they're probably more likely to take advantage of opportunities like this that are available to them.
4: Did any outside group like the League of Women Voters or the NAACP come in to do voter education?
3: Uh, I'm actually not sure about that. These jail polling locations in all of these, these seven jurisdictions that have set them up that we know of, they could not have happened without the, you know, the involvement of advocacy groups, like the League of Women Voters or ACLU. Um, those are the kinds of groups that were involved in, in pushing for these places. Did they come in and, you know, in addition to helping set up the polling locations, also provide voter education? That I'm not really sure about.
4: You know, people who study this say that when incarcerated people can vote, it helps keep them connected to their communities and to life on the outside, which helps reduce recidivism when they get out. Are there any other positives you see? People in prison and jail have all kinds of political
3: beliefs. So encouraging them to vote encourages all kinds of uh, opinions to be to be aired. But I think that people who are incarcerated have uh, very, very valuable perspectives. For instance, right, if you were to put on the ballot an initiative related to uh, expanding government-sponsored healthcare or affordable housing, or changing how the public schools are run, or changing, you know, obviously mandatory minimums, right? People who are in prison and jail come from the populations that are most likely to be affected by that. So I think that we should absolutely be working to encourage those people to vote.
0: That was Wanda Bertram, communication strategist with the Prison Policy Initiative. Learn more about the campaign to ensure all eligible citizens detained in the nation's jails are able to vote by visiting our Between the Lines website at btlonline.org. As corporate media news outlets cover the critical 2022 midterm election campaign, their focus invariably is on polls and personalities rather than on the issues that most voters care about. As is usual, their default coverage zooms in on sensational stories, scandals, insults, and meaningless rhetoric. When Republican candidates spend millions of dollars to air venomous political ads that combine fear-mongering with race-baiting, About what they say is an out-of-control crime wave and charge that Democrats are at fault, reporters generally repeat the charge without fact-checking the actual crime statistics. In fact, research has repeatedly shown that crime is rising faster in Republican, Trump-supporting states. Although Republican House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and GOP Senators Rick Scott of Florida and Ron Johnson of Wisconsin have proposed various plans that would cut or eliminate Social Security and Medicare, the media has shown very little interest in this explicit Republican threat to a vital program that millions of older Americans rely on. Sadly, the spread of politically driven disinformation in the 2022 election campaign continues virtually unchecked. A prime example can be seen in Elon Musk, who had just closed the deal to purchase Twitter when he retweeted a link to a homophobic conspiracy theory about the violent assault on Paul Pelosi, the husband of Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Your reporter spoke with Andrew Lawrence, a senior researcher with Media Matters for America, who discusses the ways in which corporate media fail to adequately cover critical issues important to voters in the 2022 midterm election campaign.
5: You know, you can look at uh, 2016 and the coverage of Donald Trump um, as as just such a great example and and one that I'm sure most of your listeners will remember. Um, But there was very little talk about about his policy. And it was, you know, more about what he said. Who did he criticize? Uh, Did you see the way that he misspelled that tweet? Did you see what he said about Rosie O'Donnell on Twitter today? These are things that do not impact people's lives in any way. And then, you know, you're right. You get into the horse race coverage and, and it becomes, you know, you have a lot of these people who should be explaining the policy and how it impacts people's lives. And instead they, they talk about, well, is this gonna, uh, how are voters going to react to what he just said? Uh, Is this attack ad going to work? You know, that type of thing. And those things don't matter. They don't matter. And so uh, at that point, you know, I mean, a lot. Of, I'm assuming that most of your listeners are fairly well informed, um, just given the fact that they're listening to your show right now. But I think the majority of Americans aren't, and that's not a critique. You know, people are busy going to soccer practice, busy working twelve-hour shifts, you know, that type of thing. Um, and so when they're walking by the TV. And all they see is talk about the horse race. Both candidates are going to be just kind of neck and neck, you know? And it's just sort of like, well, I don't really like the way the country is going, so we're going to switch things up. And it's just, it's such a disservice to viewers. And I think a real issue is that the news is supposed to be boring. And what it's about now is about getting ratings. And policy coverage is boring. It's just boring. And people don't want to watch it. And and people will turn the channel. But if you have two pundits yelling at each other, about which candidate will be better for quote unquote freedom, which doesn't mean anything, you know, that's going to draw in viewers and and they want to see the wrestling match. And and it's a real, it's a failure of the media and not just conservative media, but of, of, of mainstream media as well to focus on that type of stuff.
0: Well, Andrew, I wanted to talk about a case in point that I know you've you've looked at. As part of their culture war campaign in this 2022 midterm election, the Republican Party has all our candidates reading from the same script about the scourge of crime in America, making people Mm -hmm. scared to even leave out of their front door for fear they're going to be shot or mauled or mugged. Does our media scrutinize these fear-mongering talking points that the Republican candidates repeat, repeat, and repeat, and compare the rhetoric with the actual crime stats, which by and large don't reflect what these Republicans are saying?
5: Right, and it, it, this is a really great example of what we were just talking about, about the horse race coverage, because the truth of the matter is that uh, crime is – it is slightly up, but it is up further in red states than it is in blue states. You know, But now you've got mainstream media. They'll say that crime is an issue and that Republicans are pushing it, and that, that pushes people into believing the, that Republicans are better on crime. And Republicans don't care about the truth. Um, you know, there was a debate in Oklahoma. I don't remember the candidate's name. It was for governor. And the Democrat brought up that actually Oklahoma is more dangerous. There's a higher violent crime rate in Oklahoma than there is in New York City. And she, she got laughed at. I think it was the Republican candidate. I don't think it was a moderator, but somebody said, uh, Well, does that feel true to you? And that's what it's about. It's about creating this feeling of, of what feels true. And, and they do that you know Fox News has been pushing this crime thing for months and months and months and and it's more about making it feel true than than the facts you know and then at that point then you've got you've got mainstream media you've got uh you know it's just uh, the Sunday shows when they bring up crime they bring it up as as an issue for democrats it's going to hurt them in the polling without ever mentioning the actual crime statistics and and that they're higher in red cities and red states Uh, A violent crime is higher in in cities with lax gun laws, you know. And these are the types of things that that, that gets into the weeds and it gets a little bit boring, but it's really important for people to know the truth about that stuff.
0: That was Andrew Lawrence, a senior researcher with Media Matters for America. Learn more about the group's critique of corporate and right-wing media by visiting our Between the Lines website at btlonline.org. and support our show. There you can also subscribe to free weekly podcasts, program summaries, and interview transcripts. Follow us on Facebook at Between the Lines Radio News Magazine and on Twitter at BTL Radio News. Thanks for listening on WMBR in Cambridge, Massachusetts, WBCR in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, KTWH in Two Harbors, Minnesota, dozens of other community radio stations across the US and abroad and wherever you get your favorite podcasts our theme music was written by Richard Hill and performed by Mikata this week's program was produced by Susan Bramhall Mary Hunt Anna Manzo Bob Nixon Melinda Tuhus and Jeff Yates for between the lines I'm Scott Harris